It's all good. It's all what? good. I got what? three boxes of them. How many you need? You need you need one for every room in the house. <laughs> I got it. I can hook you up. Listen, you need a Bible. Come on. We'll get you one. Huh? Did I rob a, no, I did not rob a hotel. Uh, the, the ministry that we adopted all of their stuff um, had them all through the church, and so we collected them and kept them. And so we've got. I've tried. I, we've been giving them away slowly but surely. Glory to God. <laughs> robbed a hotel. That sounds about right. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory, glory, glory. Hold on. I got to pull something up here on my phone. Glory to God. Derek, uh, pull up our Sunday confession, please. Pull up our Sunday confession. If I can. Here we go. Nope, that's not what I want. Yep, that's what I want right there. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. I turn this this way. What? Go this way. No, you're good. Keep going. All right. All right, we're five minutes into this. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. I'm sure that we're live by now, and y'all are thinking, what are they doing? Well, praise God. Uh, we just got done with prayer. We had a powerful time of prayer. We got caught up in a spirit, and it took us a few minutes to uh, get everything set up so that we could go live. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm just pulling up some notes here on my computer. On my Oh, hold on. We got several right here. Well, I thought we were done with the book of Acts, but we are not. We're not. Glory to God. You. Yep, we're on this one right here. Look yes. at that. Look at that right there. Glory to God. Just kidding. Well, praise the Lord. Um, before we get into the word tonight on healing, we've got a Sunday morning confession that uh, our church does, and I just heard it in the spirit that we needed to do it tonight. Uh, I just heard in the spirit we needed to do it tonight. Um, so we're going to do this tonight, and um, you know, many people many people fail to receive their healing because they don't understand, uh, or because they think that they're not worthy of healing. They think that uh, because of things that they've done in their life, they deserve to be sick, or you know, maybe they're dealing with some type of paralysis or some type of injury or loss of limb or something like that. Um, and they say, well, I was being stupid, so I deserve to deal with this pain. But that's not true. God doesn't, God is a good father, and he doesn't say, well, you deserve to be messed up because you did it to yourself, so just stay messed up. That's not our God. Um, the Bible actually, there, the, there, there's over 100, I think somewhere in the vicinity of 150 scriptures in the New Testament where God tells us who and what we, who we are and what we have in Christ. And so we've taken just a few of those, and we've made an, a confession out of them to help us see ourselves as God sees us. And when you see yourself as God sees you, it's a whole lot easier to receive healing physically, mentally, and emotionally. So I want to confess this to, together tonight. Um, so we'll just go ahead and start. Um, you want to lead? You want me to lead? We'll just do it together? We'll do it together. All right. One, two, three. I, I am the, the image of God. God. I, I am spirit and flesh. I am very good. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am crucified. I am a new creation, a new creature. I am dead to the flesh, but I live in Christ. I am dead to sin, quickened to life, and saved by grace. 
I am buried with Christ by baptism. I am raised from the dead with with him. I walk in the newness of life. I am forgiven and redeemed. I am an ambassador of Christ. I am the righteousness of God. I am the workmanship of God's hands. I am created and ordained to do good works. I am justified by faith. I am chosen. I abide in Christ. I am holy and without blame. I am predestined for adoption. I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer, and I am greater. I live, move, and have my being in Christ. I reign as king, queen in this life. I can do all things in and through Christ. I am near to God by the blood of Jesus. I am raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Jesus, I am here to meet with you. And uh, like I said, you've got to get this down on the inside of you because you've got to know that God's healed you. And there's one on here that we say, um, we say, uh, I'm an overcomer and I am greater. And some people may say, well, who are you to say that you're greater? Well, God is. The scripture actually says, um, the, the, the scripture actually says, um, that I am that I have overcome because greater in me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world well if the greater one is in you how much do you know that makes you greater just like he's greater now it's not us we're not lifting ourselves up we're not puffing ourselves up this isn't what we say this is what God says about us and so we got to get this down on the inside you need to take this and you need to say this over yourself every day multiple times a day Glory to God. That's why I got tripped up was the Holy Ghost was talking to me. Glory to God. And and this one tripped me up too. (laughs) Glory to God. Well, we're going to continue in um, the healings of the New Testament. We may finish them up today, believe it or not. There's not a whole lot of them left. Uh, I thought we were done with the book of Acts, but I was mistaken. We didn't get as far as I thought we did. Nope. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 20. 20. And as you turn, I just feel an unction to pray one more time uh, for the service itself. So, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we just give you glory and honor. Now, Father, as we approach your word, we ask that you think through mine and Michael's mind. You speak through our lips the very oracles of God. And, Father, that every person that hears this message... Father God, in-house and online, that they'll receive a new revelation about healing. That they'll receive that word that they need to receive their healing. And so, Father, we just thank you for it. Father, we thank you that they have an ear to hear and an eye to see and a heart to receive upon the good ground. And, Father, we thank you that your word is always true and your word always brings results to those that work the word. And, Father, we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. So Acts chapter 20, we'll pick up right here in verse 7, I think. Yes, 7. Chapter 20, verse 7. And so let's read this. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. 
and continued his speech until midnight. Well, look at that. <laughs> look at what he said. He said, upon the first day of the week, when his disciples together to break bread. What time do you all break bread together around here? Breakfast. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, one of them, right? Some well, people say breakfast, dinner, and supper. But either way, look at what it says. He says that they, it was the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Let's give it the shortest possible time. Let's say dinner time around 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening. We'll just give it the shortest possible time. And it says, and he was ready to depart on, on the morrow. In other words, he was getting ready to go out of town. And it says that he continued his speech or his sermon until what time? Midnight. Midnight. Y'all think it's rough when I keep you here two hours and ten minutes. Two right. hours and fifteen yeah, I minutes. I think you're exaggerating, honey. We get a little. We get a little. And if I keep, if we keep, if the spirit keeps you here two hours and thirty minutes, oh dear Lord in heaven, you're melting down. But but look what Paul did under the unction of the Holy Ghost. At bare minimum, he preached to those people for six, six hours. hours. Six hours. Come on, when the power, God's got a lot to say, and the people were so hungry. That they, for God, that they stayed and listened. When was the last time you sat in service for now, six hours? Not everybody, straight? not everybody in this, in this was. Well, we'll was, read on. Was quiet about this. All right, come on, let's uh, read on. So, in verse eight, it says, "And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named uh, Eucius, being fallen into a deep sleep. So he was there six hours, but he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And it and, okay. happens today. People fall asleep in a church. Come and, on. And he, so he fell asleep in a window. And, they, and remember, their windows didn't have, they didn't have window panes. It's just an opening. Just an opening in the wall. <laughs> right? So he fell into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, see, they're complaining right here in the Bible. <laughs> he sunk down. And, you know, they just said that he was long preaching. He yeah. preached a long time. Anyhow, he sunk down with... He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft or the third. They were on the third floor. He fell from the third floor onto the ground outside and was taken up dead. How much do you know when you fall out of a third story window? That's not a good. That's not a good Especially when you fall backwards out because you're going to fall on your head first. Yeah. So so here, what does he call this man's name? Eucheus. Uh, Eucheus. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about Eucheus when we're talking about healing. This man fell out of the window. He was in church. And fell Listen, out the window. <laughs> I got news for you. These things happened in the early rain. Look out when the latter rain. Remember Ananias and Sapphira fell dead in the church. Now, he's just sitting in the upper room. They're just having a good fellowship of believers meeting up in the third floor. And he falls out the window if he had stayed awake. But he falls out the window, and he dies. Oh, Lord. Come on. And Paul went down and fell upon him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. So in, in a different version, it says, He fell down from the third floor and was taken up dead. Paul went down and fell upon him, and embracing him said, Don't be troubled, for his life is in him. Glory to God. 
Then he therefore was come up again, or when he therefore was come up again, talking about Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked about uh, and talked a long while, even till uh, break of day. So he departed. So they they kept going after church until the break of dawn, and then he leaves to go on a journey. Whew, that's dedication. That's dedication. All right, and so verse twelve, and they brought the young man alive. And and were not a little comforted. I mean, if you saw a guy fall on his head out a third story window and he showed up the next day alive, I want you to think about what Paul. I, I, I want you to think about what Paul did. Now, I want you to think about this because it doesn't say that the man that the young man arose immediately. No, it doesn't say that the young man got up immediately. It says now. Listen, this is a, this is crazy. Now, listen. He goes down, Paul goes down, I, I guarantee you everybody in the upper room goes down to the street, they're all in a panic, and here Paul throws himself on top of his dead body, embraces him, I imagine there was probably some crunching of bone, crunch, you know, gathered him up, crunched him, looked at the people and said, fear not, <laughs> don't worry about it, his life is in him. And he got up, and he went back upstairs and went back to preaching. Well, after he ate, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says, he, it wasn't he, after he, he ate, before yeah, he ate. Yeah, he, he broke bread. So they, 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 they ate dinner at like midnight or maybe 1 o'clock in the morning by now. And then he goes back to preaching <laughs> until, until the sun comes up. <laughs> so he, he, he lays down. He says, he says no, I mean, come on. You just laid on a dead boy's body, and now you're going to go eat some food. Talk about Holy Ghost. Talk about faith. Talk about faith. I heard, I heard Nancy Dufresne tell this. Nancy Dufresne talked about when her husband, Ed Dufresne, uh, went home to glory unexpectedly. You know, his plane crashed. And, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, she, so now not only does she have the church that she's pastoring, but she's also taking on his international prophets ministry uh and 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 now she's required to not only pastor but to continue the work that her husband was doing because of all the pressure of people and all this and uh, of course when ed went home uh finances kind of dried up some of the partners kind of dried up um and so the finances weren't there that needed to be there and salaries needed to be paid and all this and everything and they'd done the funeral all that and she went in the office and Asked him, I don't remember exactly what the need of the finances was at this point, but there was a great financial need. And so she went to the office and, and inquired about what the situation was, and I think that it had something to do with a bank loan or bank payment or something that next day. And uh, the, the church secretary or somebody said, money's not there. And she said, well, it's God's ministry, so it'll be there. And she turned around and left. And most people say, oh, Miss Nancy, what did you do? Did you go home getting deep intercession? Did you get home and just, oh, just, I mean, what did you do? Did you, get, did you get on your face before God? She said, no. She said, I went home, sat down, and polished my fingernails. She went home, sat down, and polished her fingernails. They said, you went home, sat down, polished your fingernails. You've got a financial issue here. Mountain. And she said, listen. I said what the Lord said. Lord, it's your ministry. You take care of it. Ain't no sense in me being concerned about it, worried about it, and fear about it. She said, if I, if I picked it up, then God couldn't do anything about it. 
So she said, in order to keep my mind distracted and to keep me from worrying, I just went home and did something I enjoyed. I went home, sat down, and polished my fingernails. And if you know anything about Miss Nancy Dufresne, she is a beautiful, well-kept woman. I mean, she, her nails are always done. Her hair is done. Her makeup's done. Her clothes are pristine. And I mean, she's, she's styling and profiling at all times. Uh, and so she just went home and did her nails. Well, how much you know, that's what Paul did here. Not he didn't do his nails. But he went, he, he went down. He said, he said, you know, he had heard about how Jesus raised Lazarus. I'm quite sure he got around the disciples, and the disciples said, man, let me tell you what. Jesus got on us for calling, Jesus, for calling Lazarus dead. He said, all he, was, he, said, he said, Jesus uh, said that Lazarus sleepeth. We thought he was asleep. And he said, no, uh, Lazarus is dead, like you think. But, you know, and we pointed this out in prior teachings, that God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost don't refer to people dead the way we do. When we say physically dead, as in no longer you're, you're no, the real you is no longer in your body, your body's no longer functioning, we call that death. They call it sleeping. Because you're, the real you, the eternal you, is still alive. Whether it's alive in heaven or alive in hell, it's still alive. The real you, the part of you that gives your life, your body life, is still alive. And Paul, obviously Paul had a revelation of this. He had raised a couple of people from the dead. And so he went down, and he just laid on the body, and he just, he, what was he doing? He was covering him in the anointing, just laid on the body and said, we're not going to fear for his, his life is in him. In other words, his spirit is in him. And, then, and he did this by the unction of the Holy Ghost. And then when he got a release in the spirit, he got up and went and ate some vittles, ate some dinner, ate a midnight snack, trusting, trusting that what God's, that God's word is true. Trusting that what he had learned from the Lord Jesus is true. Remember, uh, we looked at, last time we were in healing school, remember we looked at uh, Paul got stoned to death and he came back to life. Remember, his, uh, under his own faith, probably while they were stoning him, he said, Lord, I'm getting back up. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. So he understands how this works. So, I mean, I don't know about you, uh, I'm going to need the Holy Ghost for sure, but if I've been preaching for six hours, I probably had a good and a strong anointing at that point. Um, but see, nothing's impossible for God. Then he gets up, he takes everybody back upstairs, they go right back to preaching. How much do you know some people in that room were thinking, what about the dead guy in the street, in the alley? Like, what about him? Obviously, there were some ushers down there watching over him because it says... It says, and they brought the young man alive. And they brought the young man alive. We don't know at what point the young man arrived alive in the, in the meeting, but how much you know when he showed up, it was not a small to-do. It was no small uh, victory. Um, and it says, and they, it says, and we're not a little comforted. In other words, they weren't just a, a little bit of peace. They, how much do you know they were praising like we were talking about this morning. How much do you know they were praising with loud voices? How much do you know? Now, now, mind you, they're pre, this is sometime between midnight and dawn. And there's a bunch of them in a third-story floor in the middle of a city. How much do you know the neighbors all heard about it? Have you ever had your neighbors start up a party at some midnight hour? Has that made you real happy? 
Has that, has that gotten your attention? How much you know, when they wake you up, you want to know, what are they doing? How much you know, when you go over there with a bat and beat on the door, what are y'all doing over here? And they said, this man was dead, but now he's alive. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Come on. Glory to God. Well, we've got another healing to look at. Yep, in chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 1. Chapter 28, verse 1. There's actually three healings in chapter 28. Well, but I'm not dead. Well, is there a part of your body that's dead? Just just lay on it. Say the life's in you and get up and go. Let God do the miracle. That's what Pastor Mike did with his knuckle. Did you know that? This is exactly what he did with his knuckle. After 28, 29 years of not having a knuckle there, a crushed knuckle, his knuckle was crushed. I mean, you could see it. You, I mean, when he did his hand, there was like there was no knuckle there. You could tell. And uh, after 28, 29 years, he said, man, he said, I sure would like to have that knuckle back. And Brother Larry said, well, lay hands on and pray over it. Okay. Laid his hands on it, said, declared the knuckle to come back, went out back about his day. What was it? Two days later, you looked at your hand? Next day, you day looked at your hand. Day and a half or two days later. Day and a half, like two that. days later, you looked down, and guess what? It was there. How much you know? He laid on it. He said there's life in it. And then he went back on, and guess what? God showed up. You can do the same thing. You don't have to have a dead body. You can just have a dead portion of body, and God will feel it if you'll operate in this level of faith. Amen. Come so, on. So in chapter 28, uh, well, before chapter 28, uh, Paul had just been shipwrecked. Oh, yeah. This, this is where... where, where uh, he had a he had a vision or a, a prophecy for the for the ship's captain that this wasn't going to be good. We shouldn't go on this voyage, and they went anyways because they were taking Paul to Rome to be tried. Um, and and he so and and he he told them he he said he said fear not because the because the ship's going to go down, but nobody no lives will be lost. They, and, that, and that's exactly what happened. Right. But they ended up shipwrecked on an island. That's right. Um, so let's pick up in verse So 1. in chapter 28, this is where they're picking up is after the shipwreck. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called uh, Melatea. And the barbarous people on the island showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Or the persistent. No, that's present. Present rain. It is present rain. Okay. Okay. So notice it says the barbarous people. This is not, when you read this, barbarous people, it doesn't mean like it. This means they were probably Gentiles. Uh, they, were, they, were not, uh, they were not Jews. They were not believers. Um, they probably had customs that seemed very foreign and barbarian to them. But it doesn't mean like this is like Headhunter Island. That's not what right. it means. It's not like that. It, it's not like that. It actually says that the people showed, when it says that they showed us no little kindness, really what they're saying is they showed us great yeah, kindness. Yeah, they were very kind. They were not just a little kind, they but were they were excessively kind. kind. They made a fire for us. Um, they fed, they, they received each and every one of us. They took care of us. They probably gave them some type of, of dry clothes, some type of shelter because of the persistent rains and because it was cold. They took care of them. Right. Now, Paul went, went out gathering sticks to keep the fire going. Yep. So in verse 3, it says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat. So apparently he picked up something that wasn't a stick. Or the viper was down in the sand underneath where they had right. made the fire and it came out. We don't know. but right. 
So uh, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, if you know, vipers are poisonous snakes. Very. Very poisonous. And and uh, this particular species was apparently very venomous. So Because it says, And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So they knew he was going to die. They knew from seeing the, that, the snake that this was a snake that killed every time. Yep. And, and it was latched onto his hand. You know, you know, it's one thing for you to see the snake, pull your hand back and, sh- and, and shake, and the snake's still on the ground. It's another hand when you pull your hand and the snake's still hanging there. Yes. And that's what it was, was the snake was latched on. It was hanging there. Um, and, and, you know, people were very, very, very superstitious in, in biblical times. Honestly, I think we need to take some of that mindset back. You know, because they will, I mean, we don't need to be in fear that because a snake grabs a hold of you that that means you're a murderer. But we do need to, we do need to say, mm, maybe something's a little off here, you know. And so they thought because he had been shipwrecked, so in that time, they believed that if the earth, if, you know, first he's shipwrecked, and now the shipwreck, which would have normally killed most men, didn't kill him. And so now they believe that, that a god, any god, sent this snake to kill him. Obviously, so they believed, well, all this bad stuff happening to you, therefore you deserve it. That's not necessarily the case. Now, now, um, now Paul, in fact, if anybody sent the snake, it was Satan. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but if I got bit by a venomous snake, that'd be pretty upsetting. Paul could have gotten in doubt. He could have gotten in fear. He could have gotten in worry. He could have started whining, going, oh, my God, there's a snake on my hand. Yeah, he could have yeah. been the first person on the invisible six-foot six, six foot chair. Yeah. Like, nope, we're not doing that. But, but he didn't do this. He stayed in faith. And look what he did. In verse 5, it says, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. He had enough sense to not just shake the snake off, but he shook it off into the fire. In other words, now this, believe it or not, this is a type and shadow of how we're supposed to deal with the devil. Amen. Believe it or not. Notice that it referred to him, it says, And he shook off the beast. The Bible refers to the devil as As the the beast. beast. So he said, and we also know, the Bible also refers to Satan as the great serpent, or the serpent, and this was a snake. Um, so this is a type and shadow of how we're supposed to deal with when the enemy, the devil, comes at us. Now, one thing that people deal with in sickness is they deal with a lot of mental and emotional heartache because of the venomous words that people have spoken to them. People have said, you're no good. People have said, you don't matter. People have said, nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You're stupid. You're not going to amount to anything. You're going to turn out just like another relative. You know, you're headed, you know, they just say all these horrible, mean things. That is venom of the enemy. That is the venom of Satan. You have to understand that's not the heart of the person. That's not their heart. That's not the spirit on the inside. That's not the real them. That's their flesh talking, and their flesh is being influenced by demonic in spirits. And so when, you, when people come at you and people use profanities and people tear you down and people cuss at you and people are ugly to you and people talk about how, what a horrible person you are and how you're good for nothing and you don't matter and nobody cares, that's venom from the snake. And Paul shows us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to shake that thing off 
into the fire. In other words, we're supposed to say, Satan, back to the pits of hell with you, and we're to receive no harm. We're going to receive no harm. Listen, words are powerful. That, the, that statement from, from when we were kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is a false totally statement. Totally opposite. However, the words that people say to you only afflict you if you receive them. Right, which is the spirit behind that saying. It's so saying, you don't, don't have let it, to. Don't let it get to you. You don't have to receive them. There was a situation a couple years back where... We had really been helping somebody in the church. We'd really been getting them set free from the works of Satan. I mean, we'd really just been right there with them, helping them. And then they got it over in their head, and they wanted us to do something for them that we could not do. And they got very offended. And in their offense, they accused me specifically of being under the power and influence of seducing spirits. And I was like, man, that really hurts. I'm over here getting you set free from demons, and you're accusing me of being under the influence and control of demons. I'm like, now I understand how Jesus felt. This, this stings. Yeah. And, so, Go ahead. and so I reached out to Miss Patty because it just hurt. It just hurt. And I just told her, I said, you know, I'm not going to lie. I made a misstep. I, 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 did, I, I committed to something before I knew the full situation that I shouldn't have committed, and it hurt some feelings, and I understand that, and it was my fault, and I owned that. I said, but man, I'm being accused of being under false demons. And she, she came back at me. She said, don't you dare let anybody steal your anointing. She said, don't you do that. And I told her, I said, listen, and, I, and my response was this. I said, Miss Patty, I said, I shook off the snake. I said, but I'm still very aware of the wound. I'm very aware of the wound. In other words, I didn't receive the venom, but the hurt of the wound was still very real in my life. And she said, she said, but you're healed and don't receive it. Don't let them take from you what God's placed in you. And so she, what was she telling me to do? You see, notice he says, and felt no harm. I shook off the beast into the fire, but I felt the harm. And this is where we have to choose to take control of our feelings and say, no feelings. We're not going to feel the way they want us to feel. We're going to feel what our spirit feels. Now, now, Paul had an opportunity right here to get in fear. To, oh, yeah. You know, but, but he, Paul had a relationship with God. Yes. Paul, Paul, Paul was basically faith man. He was. You know, he he knew he who he knew who his wind. God was, and he had complete trust in Him. He knew who God saw him as, and he had complete trust in that. Paul Paul never doubted. Paul Paul never. He, I mean, shoot, he just just a couple of chapters ago, he raised a man from the dead. What's a snake? Right. To Paul. Right. Snakes nothing. Snakes no problem at all. So he just shook it off and went on like, hey, no big deal. No big deal. He didn't even question whether it was whether it was a deadly snake or not. He just he just did what any person would do. He got rid of the snake. You know. But so it goes on. Well, let me say this before we go on. If you had venom from people and it's affected you emotionally, how do you deal with that? That venom's been in me and it's been it's been rotting. You know what the venom, you know what venom does? Venom actually rots the flesh that it comes in contact with. 
and it actually um, it actually sends poison um, in through the nervous system and deadens the nervous system, so the nerves can't heal and can't can't feel and can't function like they're supposed to, um, and it creates what they call necrosis, which is a rotting. Um, if you've received emotional venom, then the same thing happens to your emotional well-being. This is what happens. But Jesus paid the price. When that crown of thorns was beat into his head, that was, that, that was him pouring out his blood for the healing of every mental and emotional uh, ailment that you'll ever deal with in your life. So, and, I've had, and, I, and I had plenty of this in my life when I came back to Christ. And I finally, and so how do you get the venom out? You choose, listen to me, you choose to forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. God tells us to forgive so that we may be forgiven. Have you ever said or done anything ugly and venomous to another person? Of course you have. Would do you not want your do you, would you not want that person to forgive you? Do you not want to be forgiven? Of course you do. So so it's only right and proper that you sow forgiveness and therefore receive forgiveness. So forgiveness is a choice. So I had to by choice make the decision, Father, I forgive this person, I forgive this person, I forgive this person, I forgive this person. And these were not little hurts. These were not little hurts. These were hurts that affected and, and affected how I viewed the entire world. Well, did you feel like you forgave them in the moment? Absolutely not. Did your head agree that you forgave them in the moment? Absolutely not. In fact, my head said, you haven't forgiven them. Look at how you feel. But here's the deal. Forgiveness is a choice. And so you choose to forgive. You choose to say, Father, I realize that so-and-so doesn't fully understand what they did. Father, I realize that that's not the heart that you created them with. Father, I realize that their spirit, their spirit created by you would not speak to me that way. Therefore, I choose to forgive so-and-so. And now I command my emotions and my thoughts to line up with that forgiveness. And then every time those feelings and those thoughts and those emotions rise up, how do you respond? You say out of your mouth, I have already forgiven so-and-so. Now feelings line up in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then you begin to praise God and thank God that you had the ability to forgive. And in time, it takes a little while. But if you'll be consistent, all of the, before you really even realize it's happening, your feelings and your thoughts will begin to agree with the decision that you made in your spirit. Yeah. So, so. Forgiving others is definitely a, a right thing to do and, and, and a necessary part of, of walking in right standing with God. Because as the Bible get, says, if you want him to forgive you, you have to forgive others. But listen, this is how you get emotional and mental healing is it starts with making a choice to forgive. Now, now some, some will say that, well, this may have been nothing for Paul, but what about me? Well, God's no respecter of persons. You know, what he did for Paul, he'll do for us. Paul, what Paul had going for him is he was he was convinced that his God was going to going to stand with him, that his God was going to help him, that 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 his God was a good God and he wouldn't let anything happen to him. That he had work still to do for his Lord. So yes. he was he was he wasn't conceited. He was convinced. He yes. was convinced that his God was a good God and that his God was there for him at all times. 
and we can be too. See, Paul was a disciple of God. This is disciples' house. We're called to be disciples of God, to be disciples of Jesus. And, and, And we can expect that we will have the same treatment that Paul did. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I hear it in my spirit, but I'm not ready to forgive. I'm just not there. <laughs> I hear it. I hear it in my spirit. We're going backwards and back and forth, but yeah, We're, like watching a tennis match. But, but here's the deal. <laughs> it's okay that you're not there. Ask God to help you get there. I wasn't there when God first dealt with me. One of the first people I had to forgive was my father. And I mean, I was brand new baby at this. And I had 27, 28 years of resentment and hurt feelings from my dad. I did. I, I, I lived my entire childhood, teen years, and, and my adult life up to that point feeling completely rejected by my dad. So I had a lot to deal with, and I had a lot to get through, and I just wanted to live for God. And God said, do you want to live for me? Fix your, work on your relationship with your dad. And I did not want to. I did not want to. I did not. And so God, I said, God, I, I can't do this. And I even told him, I even told God, I said, God, I can't even talk to him. He, he, and nothing is, I love my dad. I, I love, to this day, to this day, I love, I love him. We have a good relationship. Things have been repaired. And, and I love him. But, you know, different people uh, from different generations do things differently. And, and with my dad, his, the way he just perceives the world is once you're a child, you're always a child, at least when it comes to his kids. So even though um, the two oldest ones are in our 50s and, and my younger sister's in her 30s, she's 17, 18, 17 years younger than me, um, she's in her 30s, um, you know what, as far as my dad's concerned, we're still the kids. And so it's real hard for dad to have an adult conversation with his children. It's just hard for him. So I told the Lord way back there, I said, and I was being snotty. I'll just tell you, I was being snotty-nosed. And I said, well, God, he always treats me like a child, and he won't even talk to me like an adult, and you want me to fix all this drama? I was being ugly. And God said, write him a letter. You know me, at that point in time, sitting down writing anything was hard. Um and my spelling was not great and all kinds of issues. And I could make all kinds of excuses. And God just kept dealing with me and just kept dealing with me and just kept dealing with me. And finally I said, okay, fine, God. I'll write it, but I'm not going to mail it. And God said, okay, just write it. That was, you know, God will work with you one step at a time. So I wrote it on the computer. And then after I got done writing it, he said, okay, good. Now print it. I said, I'm not printing it. I'm not printing it. I fought with God probably a week, week and a half on that. And finally, because he just wouldn't leave me alone about it, I said, fine, I'll print it. Well, guess what he said next? He said, put put it in an envelope and address it. No, I'm not doing that. Well, by the time I got around done with that argument of putting an envelope and address it, it only took me about two days to get an agreement to mail it, and I mailed it. And I was shaking in my boots, and I was shivering. And I thought, oh, Lord. And then, you know, that was back in the day when they had caller ID, you know. And so you could tell who was caller. That was when caller ID first came out. And so we had caller ID, and I saw Dad's name on the caller ID, and I knew it had been about the right amount of time for him to get the letter. And I thought, nope, I ain't answering that. No way, Jose. And so I 
And he called a couple of times, and I wouldn't answer. And finally, I answered the phone, and he said, so I got your letter. And he said, I'm sorry you felt that way. I really didn't mean for that to happen. He apologized right off the bat. He said, but let me explain some things. Well, immediately, my dander went up. Immediately, my dander went up because I thought, I don't need you to explain anything to me. I'm the child. You're the adult. You're wrong. And he said, well, let me just let me just tell you my side of it. And then he told me his side of it. And the compassion of God hit my heart and broke my heart. And for the first time in 27, 28 years, I had an understanding of my father for the first time. So see, God, so when you say... Well, I'm not there. I'm not ready. And this is not just for people in the house. There's somebody online that needs to hear this. You can say, well, I'm not ready to shake off the stink. Or I've shaken off the stink, but I'm not ready to not feel the hurt and the pain anymore. Then just work with God and let God work with you where you're at. Because this is how healing comes. Healing is a recovery. Okay. All right. Verse 6. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. So remember... He'd just gotten, gotten bit by a, by a snake and shook it off in the fire. So, verse 6. Howbeit uh, they, the villagers, looked when he should have been swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, so they're going, you know, for a while. <laughs> they're watching him. They're looking at him. They're waiting for him to fall over. They're waiting for him to swell up. They're waiting for the necrosis to, step, to set in. They're waiting for the arm to turn all kinds of weird colors. Yeah. And saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> well, they've gone from one one they've side. Gone from, one, you must be a murderer. They've gone from one god. ditch to the other. And notice they thought he was a little g-god. Yep. That makes a point. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was uh, Publis, uh, who received us and lodged us three days courteously and it came to pass that the father of Publis lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him so when this was done others also so do you want to talk about that so pretty sure you don't want to know what a bloody flux is your imagination can take you there right um, but it was a problem. Basically, he had some internal bleeding. That's an issue. How much you know when your body's leaving, when your blood's leaving your body, it's not a good sign, right? Um, so, and he was sick. He was diseased. And what did Paul do? Paul went, because now, now they're thinking that he's a god. And, but I guarantee you, Paul did not let that lie. I guarantee you that over those three days, God began to preach to them. Even though it doesn't say Paul, not God. Uh, Paul began to preach to them and tell them why the snake bite did not affect him. And he began to tell them why the shipwreck. So what he, he even though the Bible doesn't declare it, there was, obviously, they, they, there was obviously some faith in these people that Paul had some ability to help. So when all, faith, when all hope was lost, Paul went in, he laid his hands upon him, he prayed, and they were healed. You need healing. If you don't have the faith, find somebody that does and have them pray. Glory to God. All right. And the last, the last healing in the, in the book of Acts is verse 9. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the, in the island, came and were healed. So, Glory to God. And so notice it says, and so when this was done, others also, 
which had diseases. I guarantee you, we know from Paul, Paul was a preacher. I mean, we saw he preached for 12 hours straight practically. Yep. Uh, do you think that they just came in and he just said, sure, let me hey, lay hands on you? No, I guarantee you he put faith in these people. Yep, he prayed to I them for hours. I guarantee he put faith in these people about, about and, and, teach, and taught them um, so that they could receive on their own merit. And I think that's why the Bible doesn't give us details about how the different people were healed. Uh, because, well, one, at some point you gotta uh, you got to disconnect and unhook. But two, I think some people were healed by Paul's faith, and I think others were healed because they heard of, because they heard the word and they received healing on their own faith. Um, so, do you have to? If you don't have faith for healing, do is, does that mean that you can't receive healing? No, God can heal people um, on your faith. You can get somebody healed on your faith. That's why God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. God is not using their faith in that moment. He's using your faith to bring them healing. And that's a sign of wonder to God, to them, um, to bring them. Uh, many of those, many of the times that will bring people to salvation. Or maybe they're Christians and it will bring that Christian to a greater walk and relationship with God. Um, but there's other times... That God says, now, and, and uh, truth be told, many of the fathers of faith used to say this. He said, the hardest group of people to get healed are Pentecostals. He said, they're the hardest group. He said, you can bring in uh, people from every denomination who's never been taught on healing. He said, and you can get them to receive healing like popcorn, the fathers of old said. He said, you can get them healed constantly. He said, but you get a Pentecostal person who's taught healing and 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 taught healing. He said, you lay hands on them and, and the anointing will not even flow. Why? Well, think of it like this. If you're a baby to something new, and don't get offended because we call you a baby Christian. I've had somebody get offended because I called them a baby Christian. It's not derogatory. It's just talking about your spiritual state. That's all it's talking we're just, we're just declaring where you're at spiritually with God. Listen. Well, uh, well, Pastor Robbie, are you fully grown? Good Lord, no, in heaven. Pastor Tommy used to teach it this way. He'd say, he'd say, he'd say sit down and take stock of where you are spiritually. Think, you know, think about the ages of development. And think about where you are in comparison, are you kind of over there at the infant stage? Are you at the toddler stage where you really don't know how to function and you can't quite coordinate things right, but you think you can do it all yourself? Are you at the young child age where, where you can do some things by yourself, but you make a mess in the process? Are you at the child stage? Are you at the kind of that 8, 9, 10-year-old stage where you can do some things but not everything? Are you at the teenager th stage where you think you know everything and you don't really know as much as you think you do? You know, he said, and Pastor Tom used to say this. He said, I think most Christians probably tap out at the teenager age. He said, or are you in the young adult years where you're starting to figure out, man, I didn't know as much as I thought I did. You know, where, he, said, he said, figure out where you are comparing your spiritual state to the natural stages of life. And then he said, and then back it off probably at least two stages. So he said, if you think you're at the, if you think you're at the adult stage, he said, you're probably at a teenager or pre-teenager years in stage. He said, if you think you're at the teenager stage, back it up, you might be at a young, a, a, a young child's age. 
back it off a stage or two. And that will probably get you pretty close to where you are spiritually. And you know what I found through the years? He's right. He's right. So, I, you know, I, I, I can look at myself and I can say, you know, there's a lot I know about God. And, and, there, and, I'm, and I'm getting to the point um, where I think, you know, I, by no means do I think I know it all. But I know a lot. A lot. Uh, but I'm realizing I don't know everything. So by that estimation, that put me in the 20s stage somewhere. Back it off two years or two stages. That means I'm preteen at most spiritually. At most. At most. Huh? Well, I was saying like in the 20s, so then you got your teens and then you got like your, your late adolescence. That's probably where we're at. Yeah, around that 10, 12-year-old stage, spiritually speaking. And, and, well, and how do you develop through the stages? It all depends on how much time you spend in this word, not getting it in your head, but getting it down in your spirit and being a doer of the word. I know a whole lot of kids, spiritually speaking, that can recite scriptures from memory, but there's zero revelation in their spirit. How much do you know that makes them, that makes them nothing more than a parrot? I'm not being ugly, but it makes them nothing more than a parrot, spiritually Amen. speaking. Yeah, they, 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 just, they just regurgitate what they hear over and over and over again. That's, how much you know that's what toddlers do? That's what toddlers do. Glory to God. So we can back these things off. And um, we've got just a couple more scriptures, and we'll actually be done with the New Testament. Really? Uh, uh, really. Now, we're looking at accounts of people that are actually healed in the Bible. We're not looking at... Um, all of the scriptures of healing. So in so we looked at, so we just finished Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. How much do you know? All of those books talk about healing, mm-hmm. but you don't see the next actual healing taking place until First Timothy, First Timothy chapter five, First Timothy chapter five. And this one's a little, you might not think of it as a healing, but it is a healing. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Now here, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about Paul is getting ready to hand over, Paul is getting ready to go home to Jesus. And he's talking to Timothy, and a lot of people teach, and I used to teach for a long time. It's only, I've just changed it just recently because I just figured it out just recently. A lot of people teach that Timothy was a pastor. Timothy was not actually a pastor. Timothy actually um, operated in the apostles' office. He was a sent out one. Um, and, and, and he was um, Paul's spiritual son, and Paul was getting ready to go home to glory, and so Paul was getting ready to hand his mantle over to Timothy. And so he was telling Timothy some things that he learned about the apostles' office and and. and, and Part of what the apostle does is the apostle goes into a region where the gospel has never been preached. They push back the darkness, and they they build and establish churches, and they raise up ministers. So they train, they train people to become pastors so that once, they are, once that person that they've, that they've raised up, for example, at some point, Zach, Zach testified, at some point, God, said, God called him into ministry, and, and God told him, at some point, you're going to start with the youth. 
So at, so at some point, he's going to step into that. Well, how much you know Pastor Mike and I did youth for 17 years? We've got some things to teach him and to put into him. There's some things that we've learned through the years that will save him a lot of grief down the road. Um, so that's what Paul was doing here as he was telling Timothy um, some things about the ministry and how to handle the people in the church and how to handle people um, and how to handle other ministers. So here, let's look at this. Let's start in verse 21, and we'll go to verse 23. All right. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. In other words, he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't have any favorites. All young adults around here and our teenagers like to fight over who they think is my... Who, who they think is my favorite. I don't have a favorite. The Bible tells me not to have a favorite. They're all our favorites. But it's a running joke. They enjoy it, and that's fine. I don't fuss at them. But the truth is, is we love them all equally. But we, all love, but we also love them all individually, and everyone needs to be loved in a different way. Um, so he tells Paul, he says, Paul, don't have any favorites, because that's going to create problems. Right. So and it does. Verse... Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. He told him, he said, listen, he said, there may be, can I just be real honest, because I've got some people in here that have been called into the ministry. When you get around other ministers, not every minister lives clean. Not every minister does everything right. And there can be a mentality, well, that minister does it, so it's okay for me to do it. Right. No, he told him, he said, Timothy, he said, be a partaker in no other man's sin. I'll tell you uh, what, you, you go by that, if you, measure, if you measure what's right and what's wrong by what other ministers are doing these days, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> he said, no, he told him, he said, keep yourself pure. Honestly, my young adults will tell you, the ones that have been, I know Jackie will tell you, she'll tell you, man, pastors run a hard line. They're like, don't, don't you be over there, don't you do that, don't you do that. And they're like, but seriously. And I'm like, mm-mm, uh-uh, don't do that. You know, I'm like, no, we don't do that. Pastor Mike, and, Pastor Mike and I are never alone. Neither one of us are ever alone with any person of the opposite sex. And 90% of the time, we're not even alone with a, with a church member. If Michael's out of town, more than likely it's me and mom. Why? Because too many things can be said that happen behind closed doors. You need witnesses. We don't, I, I, I mean, I'm on Jackie all the time. Girls with girls, guys with guys. Not even the appearance of evil. I'm on them all the time. Y'all stop that. Y'all don't do that. Why? Keep thyself pure. All right. Verse 23. Drink no water, or drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Now, let me explain this because many people get this verse wrong. Let me explain this verse. I'm going to look it up. Let me explain this verse. Let me help you. Timothy was an apostle, which means he's a traveling minister, which means he's going to all kinds of regions, and he's out there in Asia Minor, and he's in these other regions where the water is not always good. Have you ever gone to Mexico? They tell you, don't drink the water, right? Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Um, in fact, we were just 
uh, we were just in a meeting recently, and we normally have we normally have water in the meeting, and they said, mm, we had some reports from meetings prior that some people kind of got some stomach issues afterwards, and so we're just going to be cautious, and we're not going to supply water, not to be ugly, but we're just trying to protect people. See, your stomach, when if you're used to water over here, how much do you know? Listen. I grew up in Florida. I grew up lit drinking Florida water. Sorry to say, swamp water. My stomach cannot handle swamp water anymore. When I go to Florida, if it's not bottled, I'm not drinking it because my stomach can't handle it. So that was Timothy's issue was while Timothy was traveling from region to region, it, the water was tearing up his stomach, and it was causing him to be weak in ministry because his body was under distress. Exactly. So... So uh, Paul said, I've been doing this a while. Let me teach you something. Don't drink the water. Instead, use a little wine. And he was talking about the fresh juice, not, not the alcoholic wine. Or use a little bit of the banqueting wine. Use just a little. And what that will do is that will give you the probiotics, the benefits. The, 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 it will help your stomach to handle the food that you're eating, and it will help to keep you hydrated. So he was telling, he was giving him spiritual wisdom. How much do you know, if you're dealing with a sickness, if you're dealing with some type of ailment in your body, it's a good idea to go to the great physician and find out what he says to do. There was a minister that was from the United States. He went overseas to minister, and it was hot, and he was drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, drinking water because it was hot, and he was thirsty. And so he's drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, and, well, he fainted, and he couldn't minister. And so he went to the Lord, and he said, Lord, I don't understand why. He said, I'm resting, I'm sleeping, I'm drinking water. And the Lord said, you're sweating profusely and you're losing all of your salt and all of your electrolytes and the lord told him to go get some salt tablets and to take some salt tablets with his water and the lord said you'll be better in no time and be able to preach and so that's what he did and he got the salt because it's got the the minerals and things in it that he needs the electrolytes that he needs and he was fine after that so dr chip's book in reference to to this scripture says that sometimes the Lord will give us supernatural revelation to change something in the natural realm or in, in our lives to obtain our healing. It is still supernatural, and we thank God for the heal- or for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Yes, we do. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verse 20. 2 Timothy oh, chapter 4. Verse 20. Almost at the end of the chapter. And uh, let's let's read here. Uh, Eratus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at... No, that must not be the right That is. It's right. Have I left at Militum Sick. Oh, okay. Yes. Gotcha. So now this isn't necessarily a healing verse or or where where he's received healing. Um... But there's a good teaching in this. Um, there's a teaching here because um, there was a there was a uh, minister in, in, once upon a time that taught this. He said um, that 
this minister would teach that sometimes the will of God are, is for us to be sick for various reasons. Well, is there anything in this verse that tells us that it was the will of God for this minister to be sick? No. There's nothing in here that indicates this. Other than he didn't get healed. Other than, it, it, well, and it doesn't say that he didn't get healed. It says that Trophimus left him because he was sick. Well, no, he, le he left Trophimus. Oh, I gotcha. Because he was uh, sick. Right. So, uh, yes. So, Tremophius got left behind because he was sick. It doesn't say that Tremophius did not heal or recover. Um, you know, you guys know uh, we went to Branson recently, and I got sick on the first day we were there. And I couldn't do setup. And then I was still recovering that night, and I said, man, I can't make service. And, and uh, Brother Randy and Miss Patty sent word back. They texted me, and they told Mom. They said... Tell her to rest. See, a bad habit in ministry is we run ourselves ragged and we don't give our bodies rest. This happens in the world, too. A lot of people, you may not be getting healed because you're not giving your body the rest that it needs. The rest that it needs. And so what did he do is he left Ramosius there so that he could rest and recover. Um, so, so we see that here. Um, does he show up later? Um, it doesn't say that he does, but here's what we do know, and here's what we can take from this. Getting sick can, can stop you from doing the will of God and the ministry of God. So one of the important things that we need to pull from this and learn from this is that it's necessary to rest before you get sick. Or if you're sick, you need to rest and give your body the opportunity to recover. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. You're at the end. And that's it. That's all of the accounts of healing or sickness, actually people being healed or people dealing with sickness in the New Testament. So next week, we're going to go, we're going to start in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at healings in the Old Testament starting next week. Um, but as we went through the New Testament, was there one person that was denied healing? No. No, not even. Other than Trophimus? Uh, well, even Trophimus. It doesn't say that he got sick and died. We don't know. All we know is he didn't get to go on that ministry meeting. That's all we know. Um, there wasn't a single person that was denied. There wasn't a single person that missed, uh, that God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. There's not a single person that used their faith that was denied. So if you're dealing with sickness of any type, any level of any measure, then what you need to do is you need to just say, Father God, I receive it. And if you're not in position to receive it, get in the Word and study on it and get yourself in position that you can receive. Well, tithes and offerings, if you've got a tithe or an offering, our usher's coming. And uh, if you'll pray, I'm going to give online tonight. All right. I did a check this morning. I'm going to give online tonight. Well, Lord, thank we, you, Father. We, thank, we thank you for your word on healing. We, we accept it with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we know that it falls on good ground and it will bear fruit in our lives and the lives of those around us. And we will continue to work uh, as, as disciples thank to you. the furthering of your work here on earth. And, Lord, we, we uh, give unto your kingdom because we love you and because we... we, we uh, Thank you, Father. And we're grateful to you, and we just want to see your work done here on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, bless this offering that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or thank towards the, the furthering of your word here on earth. Lord, 
We just love you, and we want to, we want to, we, we. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we just give you glory and honor and praise. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Lord, uh, and Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and and destroy. You will not take our health. You will not take our finances. You will not be able to take this word, which has been sowed in our lives. It will grow, and it will bear fruit. Thank Thank you, Lord. Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you. We sow seed. Father, we thank you for increase that comes in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and Amen. amen. There's went my receipt. Father, I thank you for seed to sow and increase that comes. In Jesus' name, you can serve the people. Thank you, Father God. If you don't have an offering to sow, lay your hands on the given bucket and say, Father, I thank you for 